Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the EduMeasure podcast, a podcast about assessing liberal arts education in the United States. My name is Edward Leonard, and I'm here with Berent Estabrook, a professor of modern languages at Illinois College. And we're going to talk tonight about education and its purposes. Dr. Estabrook? Thank you. Appreciate it. I suppose one of the things as, we, as we're starting out on our initial voyage is the old question, why this podcast? Why another podcast? And I think I want to start with a statement that states it perhaps pretty simply. Our best ideas and our deepest aspirations rise from crisis. We're facing a crisis in our schools in the U.S. today, whether we're talking about grammar school, high school, college. And though this podcast is a response to this desperate crisis and how we educate our young people, it's not designed to cause panic or to assign blame, but rather to reinvigorate and inspire those who care about what happens to our children. I would like to take you with me on a journey towards potentials for rethinking this crisis that have been neglected, overlooked, or misunderstood. I would like to share not only my own experiences, but those of a wide variety of colleagues, thinkers, activists, and mentors, all of whom share a vision of an education that prepares our young people to confront the most exciting, complex, and dangerous period in the history of the world. Let me give you a little bit of my own journey so far. About 20 years ago, as I was teaching in college, I was faced with a crisis in my chosen profession. The students I was teaching were changing, and the way in which I was teaching them was increasingly strained, because the mismatch between my understanding of the college classroom and theirs had become so large. In those days at my college, I was not teaching the strongest or the most ambitious students, but there had always been a mutual, if precarious, understanding about what college meant, about the responsibilities of teachers and students, and at least some sense of a shared goal. Most significantly, though, there was, if not trust, then at least the assumption that the faculty knew what they were doing and that it was the student's job to be guided by this faculty, even if the tasks were unpleasant or unpalatable. Students came to us to get an education, whatever that meant, and that required lots of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Like students throughout the ages, it was often unpleasant or challenging for them to work as hard at their studies as we required, but they and their parents did not consciously doubt the educational project as such. And this assumption of the faculty's wisdom and of the value of what college had to offer was especially important with the humanities, for which the career possibilities were much narrower and harder to come by than in the hard sciences or in majors that led to a professional degree. There were cracks in this edifice of trust, and though teachers like myself were often slow to recognize the coming changes, we couldn't ignore the signs of the times. We were not entirely immune from that growing crisis in K-12 education, whatever we might might have thought about that. I can remember the first time I began to hear from students in scholarship interviews that they did not like to read. I used to have to stop the interview and tell them that this was something you would never say to a professor if you wanted them to give you free money. Students were struggling in their writing. They were less able to analyze what they had read, and they were unable to do the work that I understood to be standard college practice, 
the kind of work that I had navigated during my own college years. I found myself wondering whether my students had the prerequisites for the kind of thoughtful and advanced liberal arts education that I had been trained to provide. My colleagues all around me were gradually limiting the number of books and assignments that they could expect from their students, and there was a growing inclination toward careerism. To say nothing of steadily increasing college costs, all that made the question of how these students were going to pay back their loans of far greater interest to them and their families than the idealistic, intellectual, and academic world of values and ideas that I was offering. To my shock and surprise, I found myself wondering whether the kind of education that I valued, an education that liberated the mind by confronting students with contrasting visions of how to live a good life, visions that were drawn from the wisdom and traditions of the past, was this vision relevant to them? Was it going to help them deal with the accelerating pace of technological change? with the economic, social, and political challenges that seemed to be making the old college model obsolete. It was clear that they and their parents were no longer reading or studying in the same way, and that we could not expect them to come with many of the basic skills from high school that we had once assumed. I thought to myself at the time, maybe it was time to get out. Maybe the education that had inspired my creativity, imagination, and that had transformed my life was an anachronism, no longer possible except with the elite students. And those elite students would not be choosing my college over colleges with greater prestige and resources. The niche that I was filling in a relatively obscure corner of the world, teaching students great ideas and how to examine and develop their own values, this had been a historical luxury that was now coming to an end. Maybe. I was not about to surrender my vocation without a fight. I believed that what I was doing was meaningful to the lives of my students, regardless of whether it clearly resulted in a career. It seemed to me that young people who understood the heritage of the past, who understood the need for clarity in their values and imagination in how they approached the world, would be better equipped to deal with the challenges posed by our accelerated society. To do this required some profound changes in my teaching and in my expectations for my students. It required experimentation, tolerance for mistakes, a nuanced understanding of what my students were up against, and a rethinking and repurposing of the humanities and the liberal arts. It required that I learn just as intensely as I was asking of my students. It necessitated shared experience with my colleagues open discussions of what we were doing and why. It demanded a collaboration with my students that turned away from the old one-way street of classroom teaching for something that was both new and deeply rooted in the best traditions of education. This podcast is exactly that open discussion, but this time conducted with the entire world. It is intended for teachers, for students, and for anyone who believes that our civilization depends for its continued existence on the care and nurturing of the next generation. The college problem that I recognized two decades ago is much more than just confusion in our nation's higher education. It is a direct result of and contributes to the contemporary problems we face today as a society. What we do with our young people how we prepare them to live in our culture, is nothing less than the vision of what humanity is 
and ought to be, and our discussion of that should involve everyone. In this sense, the education of our young people reflects who we are as a people and what we want to become. Our willingness to neglect these questions, to sail headlong into uncharted waters without asking simple but essential questions about where we're going and why, is frankly irresponsible. We owe this discussion to our young people, if not to ourselves. Well, Bernard, thank you very much for that overview. And we invite our listeners to join us as over the next several weeks we'll develop uh, these ideas and others further. And we will do so in terms of conversation with our listeners and bringing in some other voices and guests to consider these issues that uh, Berent has expressed in the opening discussion. So, Berent, when we look at the uh, overall situation that we're facing, are you optimistic? I'm not sure there is justification for either optimism or pessimism. For my purposes, I, sh- I guess I veer from one to the other on a regular basis because I recognize the enormity of the challenge that our students are facing and the degree to which they're unready. But at the same time, I keep on getting remarkable instances of their creativity, their potential, and their ability to recover some of what they had lost or what they never had before. So I go back and forth, and I think, I guess I find myself too busy trying to get these things done than to worry about whether it's realistic or not realistic, whether I'm being optimistic or pessimistic. Well, as spending most of our time in the college classroom, rather than pursuing careers in publishing and conference presentations, we've um, tried to develop teaching as a way of connecting with our students and creating a conversation and in some sense, perhaps building a platform for someone to be transformed by their learning. Let me ask you, though, just to give our listeners some background. How many years have you been teaching in a classroom? So I have been teaching since 1986, and for the last 29 years at a small liberal arts college in Illinois. And how many classes per semester do you teach? I guess my attitude towards it was if there's a student who wanted to learn something, then I was going to go ahead and make it possible in any way I could. So usually I would do four, sometimes five classes a semester. So over the past 29 years, you've taught perhaps eight to 10 classes per year. Absolutely. In fact, we all know that the division of the disciplines currently, the way we categorize knowledge, is archaic. A hundred years ago, we knew that this was the case, but we still, academics are a little conservative in this regard. No, they are a lot conservative. And so we keep this division up. But in fact, I, I really believe in the liberal arts ideal, which says that all branches of knowledge are interrelated. Certainly, I specialize in the humanities because I believe that the, the study of value, ideas, literature, art, music, and so forth are vital. And because there are, there are fewer voices Uh, that are dealing with that issue now than there have been in the past. But I also integrate the sciences and uh, and the social sciences and and every other field I can think of to try to get students to realize that this connection is vital and it is the essence of what a real education provides. So in a typical semester, will you teach both lecture and seminar courses? Yes, both kinds. And with lecture, it's always, a, a, I'd like to follow sort of a Socratic method, a give and take back and forth between student and faculty member, asking questions, having students respond. There are moments where the lecture is appropriate, but there are some seminars where the students do most of the talking. 
So at Illinois College, you've held some leadership positions with the faculty? Yeah, I have been uh, the president of the Senate. I've served on almost all the ma- I've served on all the major committees, and so I have a strong sense of the institution and have participated in faculty governance uh, on a lot of different levels. I think that's it's it's an important part of my job because I am not in this alone. I'm in this with a, a large number of really rather wonderful colleagues who support me and I support them. And we essentially, we form a community, and the, this is not always realized in practice, but as an ideal, the faculty, the students, and the administrators form a tightly knit community which reinforce each other, help each other, and are a pool of potential creativity and imagination. And I think that, in fact, if we solve some of the problems that face us today, it's going to be because we actualize those potentials among all the members of our, of our community. Well, that's a good overview of the things and ideas that we wish to consider in the coming weeks. We invite you as the listener to subscribe to the podcast, and we hope to encounter you on our journeys forward as we explore liberal arts education on the EduMeasure podcast. We look forward to seeing you, hearing from you, and meeting up with you. Thank you.